As we remain standing, uh, we'll be reading uh, today's passage together. It is found in Mark chapter 10 from verse 35 to 45. Mark chapter 10 from verse 35 to 45. Let us read together. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with a baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall be not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. So word of the Lord. You may be seated. Dear congregation members, uh, today's title is Encountering Jesus as Our Ransom. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago um, as a ransom uh, to give us a salvation for us to live. And that's why verse 45 is the highlight and actually the key verse of entire the gospel of Mark. So you can underline or highlight this verse actually Uh, signifies and actually as a mission statement of what Jesus came 2,000 years for. for. So verse 45 says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this separates actually Christianity from any other religions. When any other religions talk about, you you better sacrifice your life. You better bring me something in order to be pleased. But what Jesus is saying is that actually I came to the exact opposite. I came to die for you. I came to give my life as a ransom for you. So we know the term, uh, you know, ransom. What does it mean? Paying something on behalf. When someone is kidnapped, uh, when someone is a prisoner, or if someone is a slave, you have to pay the price in order to bring that person back. And that's what Jesus is saying, that he is referring himself as a ransom. Today's passage talks about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem with the disciples. And throughout the Gospels, we saw the many incidents that Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem with the disciples. 
But this specific journey or trip is very significant one because this is a last trip, last journey with the disciples heading towards Jerusalem. And Jesus was determined to go into Jerusalem, willing to die, paying the price for our sin and death. So he talked about taking up the cross three times through the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. When Jesus repeating something three times like this, it must be very, very important for us to understand. So this chapter 10 it talks about right after Jesus explained his crucifixion and his resurrection. In verse 33, 34 says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him, kill him, and after three days he will rise. So Jesus was very serious, preparing the disciples about his death his departure, what he is going to go through. Not just once, but three times. But you know what? The disciples, as they were hearing, they were not getting it. So they were arguing and they were fighting that who will be sitting at the right hand, who will be sitting at the left hand, and who will be more powerful, who will be more greater, and so on. And just like the disciples that you and I, many times, we don't really understand the depth of the meaning, what Jesus was talking about, giving himself as a ransom for all of us. So today, that we want to understand why Jesus gave himself as a ransom, for what purpose? The three things that we wanted to look at is, number one, it is for our freedom. Secondly, it is for us to live. And also, thirdly, it is for us to experience transformation through maturity as well. So first of all, it is for freedom. That mankind, that we are under slave with sin and death. After the Garden of Eden, that everything has shifted and distorted not only our human relationship with God, but also with one another. But the problem is, even though the mankind, they were under slavery, they didn't know that they were still having slavery mindset. As I explained uh, many times through funeral and even through uh, Easter Sunday, a hundred years ago, the slavers in the United States they didn't have a freedom. And even after the Civil War, the Constitution has changed, and they no longer had to live their slavery life. Unfortunately, many African Americans in the southern part of the United States, they didn't hear the good news. And they end up wasting their entire life as a slaves. In a similar way, the Israelites, when we see they were slaves under Pharaoh in Egypt for over 400 years. And God has delivered them out of Egypt to the promised land. 
Even though they experienced salvation from God, they still carried out their slavery mindset. In the promised land, God has blessed them with prosperity, freedom to worship God and God alone. But as a slavery mentality, they were continually comparing themselves with other pagans, other Gentiles. And this is a context that the Jews, they were still under slavery mindset after Babylonian, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And just like Israelites, many of us, we live our lives with such slavery mindset and mentality. And in Owen, in his book, In the Name of Jesus, many Christians today, that we are slaves of reality, recognition, power in our lives. We want more. We want bigger. In our reality, we are so driven by success, recognition, fame, power, control over our lives. We think that unless we have these things, that we are not fit to live. Even though we confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, He is a King over our lives, that we are dictated by recognition, power, success in the world in reality. Especially in immigrant church, our first generation parents have suffered so much trying to adjust into new society. And many second generation, third generation, having seen and having experienced what our previous generation has gone through, that we're determined to succeed in this reality. So we try harder. We study. We want to make a living. And I know that many of our congregation members are in a place where everything's comfortable. And there's no motivation or incentive for us to be desperately seeking out God. Many of us, we're in a place in reality that, you know what, we are doing fine without God. That's almost like opposite mindset of slavery, but we are also slaves of this world. We work for Pharaoh. We work for the world. We work for our own success and greed. I'm not just talking about materialism here. The many of us who are still slaves under hatred, comparison, jealousy. Some of us, we still are the slaves of blaming one another. We end up blaming our own culture, our parents, our past, our society. When we're doing poorly at school, we blame our professors. We blame school. We blame our boss. We blame our spouse. We blame our children. The moment that we blame and deflect our responsibility, somehow we feel better. The slaves of materialism, slave of hatred, blaming one another, evil desire, sexual lust, 
even fame and recognition, that many of us, we serve God, not because we love God, but somehow that we want to be recognized. So the moment that people do not recognize, we want to just drop everything and walk away. And many times we get disappointed, even in our family relationship, right? When you don't feel like you're recognized by your in-laws, you're not recognized by your spouse and children. Many times we love, but not to really give ourselves, but we love because we want something in return. One of our um, you know, congregation members in Korean ministry, one of the ladies, she came up to me and said, you know, my husband is not fit, doing well, and we've been going to the hospital a lot, so I've been praying so desperately. God, please heal my husband. Please heal my husband. But as I was praying, you know, God really revealed my motive. The reason why I was praying for my husband was because it was inconvenient for me. I didn't want to drive into hospital anymore. I didn't want to take care of my husband. So I was really praying for my husband's healing so that it would be more comfortable and convenient for me. I was very appreciative of her transparency. Even though many of us, we want to hide it, we'll hide it, we'll cover it well, but many times we love because we want something in return. We want to be recognized. We want to gain something. Even in Mark chapter 10, you know, who wants to be great, then you need to serve. So we serve because we want to be great. We serve because we want to be recognized. And such the mind and the slavery mentality have twisted the way that we live our lives. We serve God because we love God. But many of us, we have this distorted understanding of what gospel is so that when we come out to church and we go through the suffering, that we blame God. God, what is the point for me to serve you and worship you when I go through suffering like this? What is the point of Christian life? Why? Because we have twisted, distorted our understanding of who God is and what gospel means. So Jesus was talking about dying on the cross. He was very serious and explaining to his disciples, and they were not getting it, so explain it once and explaining twice and explaining three times. But John and James asking Jesus, so, so who's sitting at the right hand? It's like a dad is taking his son, you know, son, I'm about to go to heaven. This is our last trip. I want you to remember, and I want you to live your life but son is asking, so can I have your BMW? Can I have your car? So who's, who's, who's getting your jacket? It's like asking these questions. And that's what John and James were doing. I'm about to die. Okay, can we sit at the right hand? Can we sit at the left hand? What about other disciples? Were they any better? In verse 41, when, they, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Why? It's not that they were upset. How dare you, John and James, asking? No, they wanted to say it, couldn't say it, and John and James said it first. They were the same. In verse 42, Jesus 
explaining to the disciples. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. You know, the Gentiles, people do not know God. They are like that. But Jesus explained to the disciples, But you understand who God is. You understand the gospel. You should be better. Or you should be different. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what Jesus is telling all of us here. You know, people outside do not know the gospel. That's how they love. They, that's how they live. They are the slaves of the Pharaoh. They are the slaves of this uh, world. But you know what? You are not like that. You are different. So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. How different are you from those who are the slaves of this world? When Jesus came and died for us and paid for our sin and death, and he came as a ransom, what does it mean for you? Are we truly free because of the gospel? Or are we still the slaves in this world? For those of you who are students, like, why do you study? Why do you go to school? Those of us who work so hard, Monday through Friday, I know many of you work so hard, you come home late. Why do you work so hard? I'm not saying drop out of school or quit your job or be mediocre. Pursue excellence. Study your best. Work so that you'll be a good example for the glory of God. But for what purpose? Because you are the slaves of your company or because you are free by the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have a better reason that you're working for your life. Secondly, it is for us to live. In a passive way, God wanted to free us. But in an active way, so that we can live. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus came as a ransom, paid the price, so that we will be free one hand, but on the other hand, for us to live. For us to enjoy God's life. That's what it means. For us to thrive God's life. So eternal life is not just like, in a literal way, live for eternity. Yes, it includes living eternity, but it has more than that. Living the life of God. That's what it means. Live the life of God in you. So what does it mean for us to live a life of God, living? You know, last Sunday, actually, um, during service, I talked about the gospel, the power of the gospel, Jesus. He reversed everything. So I used the word, you know, me, you know, reversing, we. And my daughters came after her sermon and said, Daddy, that was just, I don't know, like me, we, you know, kind of thing. But for me, you know, that you know, is a practical example. But the, what is the opposite, 
you know, word of live. If you flip it, actually, spell the other way, evil. That's another corny joke. <laughs> but you know what? That's what it means, evil. And that reflects the power of the gospel. We are under sin, darkness. We are under evil. But Jesus came and paid the price as a ransom so that it flips, so that we end up living. So opposite way of evil is not good. Opposite word of evil means living the life of God. So living means loving God. In other words, saying if you haven't loved, you haven't lived. If you have no nothing for you to really love, that means you are not living your life. So, brothers and sisters, what do you really love? In your life, what are you passionate about for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says, For to me to live in Christ and to die is gain. And that's why it separates the gospel, Christianity, from any other religion because any other religion says, You know what? Come bring sacrifice, make me happy. But Christianity is exactly opposite. That God himself, 2,000 years ago, came to die for us. And he said, dying means living. In other words, if you have something that you love, that you are willing to die for, that's what it means you're living. Martin Luther Jr. King says, a man who won't die for something is not fit to live. And that is the heart of the gospel. In, even in our marriage, what separates the true love is that that you don't love someone because you want something to gain back or return, but you love that person as who he or she is. So what true love is, is that you are willing to die for that person. That's why living is so difficult, right? Living is difficult. We often compare ourselves with who's greater, who brings better income, compare one another, who lives in better lifestyle. When, when Jesus looks at our lives, the way that he evaluates is not who lives in bigger house or better car or better income, but are you willing to really live your life for what purpose? So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you that question again. Is there anything in your life that you are willing to die for? That you are so passionate, you are consumed 
with a burden that you are willing to die for that purpose. And when you're pursuing that, you are living. You are living your life. My last point is for us to experience transformation, right, through maturity. You know, I have a mentor in Los Angeles who got called in one of the biggest churches in L.A. So he got, you know, called as a senior pastor. He went there. He was serving for 10 years. And he went through a really difficult ministry and ended up resigning from that church. And as he was coming out, he was saying to me, Jason, I failed ministry. The reason why I failed the ministry was I was proud. I thought I could change people by doing better. I thought I could change people doing harder. But that was pride. I came to realize I cannot change. You know, that really hit me. You know, not just for ministry, but you know what? That's so true. You know, we think that we can change our spouse by doing better trying harder. We think that we can change our children by doing better or providing more. But parents, have you really transformed your children by giving them more? Trying harder? What gospel, the reality says that you cannot even change yourself. I realize I cannot even change myself. How dare me to expect, you know, transformation in other people's lives. Even looking at my life, I'm still stuck in many ways as a slave. In a way, Jesus already knew. The disciples will never get it until they see Jesus dying on the cross and rose again from the dead and then being baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. They will not get it. So I'm not being skeptical, but I'm saying the transformation takes place only Jesus Dying on the cross through his resurrection power and the power of the Holy Spirit comes and begins to reign in our lives. That everything that we try to do with our own human efforts, doing better, trying harder, providing more, providing better, will not change people's lives. And that's what I see all the time. Unless they really, in their real life, understand the depth, the meaning of the gospel, and Jesus' sacrifice, they will not be transformed. So in verse 38, Jesus said, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? What is Jesus referring to? The cup and baptism. Cross. Are you willing to take up the cross and drink the cup of death with me? And John and James said, verse 39, yes, for sure, we're able. Even here, they were blinded. We will do anything for you, Jesus. But look at their heart, verse 35. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And that reflects many of our prayer life. 
Jesus, we will do anything for you, but at the same time, you give us whatever we ask. So Jesus was saying, you do not know what you're asking. And you know what? Jesus, take them into a journey where finally they get it. And that is the power of the gospel. How do they get it? You know, James, he say yes, and he becomes the first murderer for the gospel. And John, he witnesses all of his friends and brothers dying and being persecuted, and he ends up being sent to Pemmas as a prisoner of the gospel. They truly drank the cup and baptized of the cross. I think that gives us a hope of the gospel. It's because what Jesus has done as a ransom for our salvation, it will never be wasted. And he is determined to carry us into the journey where that we will understand its meaning, the depth of the meaning. And he will shape us and mold us. He will transform us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of us are drinking the cup of suffering right now. In your life, maybe through the failure, disappointment, hardship, challenges, isolation, going through a dark season of your life that you are drinking the cup of suffering and baptism that Jesus is talking about. And yet through that, you are slowly understanding what Jesus meant, paying for our sin and death and life as a ransom. It's a wedding season. I officiated a wedding yesterday. We'll be officiating another wedding this Saturday and next Saturday. So I asked them, before they get married. So do you really love each other? Are you willing to die for each other? All of them, they say, yes, we're able. And God honors that. Because you say you're willing to die for that person. You end up dying through the marriage. You end up dying as you're raising your children. You end up dying serving the Lord. But through that, Jesus is saying, that's how you are going to live a life of God. For you to die is to gain. And for you to love someone, you experience true transformation of your life. So dear congregation members, I hope and pray that all of us, even though this can be another message, you need to serve you need to surrender. And we will not understand what Jesus meant, giving himself as a ransom for many, but I hope and pray that as we're journeying along, some of us who are learning that process right now, and some of us will learn maybe five years or ten years down the road, but I hope and pray that this will be an anchor of your life, that your life is in the hands of God, and he will walk with you, 
He will help you to understand the true meaning of the gospel. Let's pray. Our hearts, our motive, our purpose. Is there any area that we are really stuck or still not free completely? Even though Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many, many of us, we are uh, slaves of this world. It could be recognition, power, or it could be even hatred. Bitterness, that you are not free from these. And Jesus is speaking to you today. What are you doing? I pay for your freedom. I die for your freedom. Why are you still under slavery? I want you to live. I want you to love. I want you to live my life, eternal life. So if the Holy Spirit is revealing certain areas for you to really reflect and be free from the bondage, would you respond in this time of prayer before we come to the Lord's table? And as we take the body and blood of Jesus Christ, not just consuming it, but living it, living out the life of God.